What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It is absolutely, bar none, the best way for authors to make a living selling their books. Are you tired of feeling like you have to be on social media 50 hours a week just to sell a few books and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually lead to any book sales? Are you tired of hearing people say that you just have to be patient with the social media game for a long time so that you can build that following and that trust? Yeah, I was too, because there's only one of me, and ammo solves that problem. Now, here's the deal. It's a system that can actually guarantee results, and I'm not the one doing the guaranteeing, and I don't think that Steve Piper, who founded Ammo, would literally say that it's a guarantee, but what's a guarantee here is that when you spend advertising dollars in the right way, you get results and you're profitable. Okay, the concept here is if you spend a dollar and make two, you are profitable. And Ammo does that for its authors. I want you to check out the link in the show notes because this program has the ability to change your life. And hey, it's not for everyone. If you're a traditionally published author, it might not work for you because your margins will be too small to get profitable advertising on your own. That's something you'll have to take up with your publisher. But if you're self-published, if you're indie published, this thing could be great for you. If you have a few books out, especially if you're a series writer, this is a game changer. The whole podcast is now part of the Ammo family. So you'll notice every Wednesday, this show is Ammo Edition. But even on Mondays, you're listening to a show that exists because this author, this host of the podcast uses Ammo and makes money selling books. It's a beautiful feeling. I encourage you to check it out. Twice this past week, I found myself awake around 1 a.m., like hadn't gone to bed yet. And maybe for some of you, that is a common occurrence. But I'm not a night owl. I am a morning person. That's how I've always been. That's how I will always be. And I know that it has something to do with just feeling the struggle. It comes, it goes, but that is where I'm at right now. Uh, and the irony of it is that I had a great week selling books. Uh, I have been quite profitable all week. I'm designing a second ad to start running as long as these results hold over the weekend. That should be everything that I want and dream of. But I'm not feeling the spark at the moment. I'm having a hard time reading. Not really having a hard time writing. I'm getting the writing done. Uh, The books are coming along really nicely and that's good designing a uh, book cover for uh, Buckshot Blast and the Goldfish Getaway, which is outside of the series. I wrote it before uh, I planned the Luke and Time Mysteries, and uh, I have uh, a beta reader looking at uh, the novel right now, so that's exciting. I'll be sending it to some other folks to see if they're interested in giving it another beta read, and uh, I would expect that it could be ready to go here fairly soon. Um, So why? Why the sort of insomniac melancholy? Yeah, I know it's pronounced melancholy, but uh, if you've seen that mastermind movie or whatever with the big blue alien guy voiced by Will Ferrell, melancholy. Always enjoyed the sound of melancholy more than melancholy. Smashing pumpkins, something about the melancholy moon. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. 
This is called free association. I want to get you to my conversation today. It's a special uh, edition of my library series. My guest is Eric Otis Simmons. Look at his distinguished biography in the show notes. I want to give you just the short intro for him here. He wrote a book, How to Get Your Book in Libraries, and it is a fantastic, slim resource that gives you the quick, punchy, how to do this better than anything else I found. Uh, I first encountered him on Joanna Penn's podcast, The Creative Pen. So I'm going to go ahead and link to that as well in the show notes if you want to listen to his previous interview about getting books into libraries. We cover a lot of the same territory and we cover some new territory, which I think is exciting. I hope that you find this conversation useful in adding to your repertoire of getting libraries to acquire your books. And on that note, I'd like to let you know that after I submitted my, and I do talk about this some in the interview, so I won't go into a ton of details, but just add in a few. After I submitted my audiobooks to Find Away Voices, I quickly learned that those audiobooks had been picked up by Omaha Public Library and Lincoln Public Libraries, respectively. Those are my two nearest major libraries. I already had my, my, my paperbacks in the Nebraska Rural Libraries Association. So uh, three major library systems have already acquired my books here in Omaha. Now it's time to get the paperbacks in there because there's something just really nice about getting paperbacks in libraries. But I am working as hard as I can to make sure that my book is held if it's at Libby and that it's checked out copiously if it's on Hoopla. If you're not familiar with the Overdrive program that that now is um customer-facing part is Libby or Hoopla, I really encourage you to go out and become familiar with those resources. Uh, And there's just so much power in this process. So I'm having some success early on. I know that you can as well. I hope this is an encouragement to you. And one final note, during my conversation with Eric Otis Simmons, we had a disagreement about pricing for libraries And I want to front load by saying he's gotten his book into 200 libraries. So I'm going to put the weight of experience and achievement firmly in his corner. Um, And I also provide in the show notes a screenshot of where I was getting my information from Ingram Spark, which is the dominant, almost monopolistic distributor of books into libraries and bookstores, both has a note when you are setting up your book that they suggest you start your pricing at 2x retail price for library pricing. That's where I was getting the information from. They even talk about escalating it up as high as 4x retail pricing. So I'm going to continue to use the 2x library pricing as long as I don't meet any resistance at getting my books into the libraries that I reach out to. Um, But Eric wanted me to let you know that he's had a ton of success 
by discounting his pricing. Uh, and so I think that it's really important that you make an informed decision about how you want to get your books into libraries and know that there definitely is budgetary concerns for libraries. And when you are up against a lot of competition, it can help you if one of the things in your favor is suitable pricing. So move forward with your eyes wide open now. Please do enjoy my conversation with Eric Otis Simmons. If you've ever watched Nota Read in Public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. That reminds me of a solid morning workout where all of my veins come back alive. TRBM is for writers, what time lapse was for painting, and what guitar solos and spotlight were for bands, what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Total recall before midnight? Turmeric raising Bengali maidens? Or the rowdy blunt merrymen? You decide. Talk with me a little bit about uh, how you came to find libraries as a source where you wanted to get your books and and frame up why that was uh, a valuable use of your time. Uh, that's a great start of question, Jody. Uh, what happened to me, I had written my memoir. And right after I had written it, I guess because I had contacted a lot of friends and family, I had just, I thought, great sales on Amazon. Yeah. Well, after all of the excitement died down, I noticed that my sales looked more like a roller coaster monthly on Amazon. Yeah. And so I wanted a little bit more control and a better feel for my book sales. So I looked at three sources initially. I, I looked at bookstores. I contacted some independent bookstores. And one of the things they wanted to do was they'd say, well, Eric, let's say I buy 20 of your books. If I only yeah. sell five you'll have to buy the other 15 back. Yep. I.e. a consignment. Basically consignment, exactly. That, that wasn't yeah. appealing to me at all because now I'm carrying inventory and I don't know if I'm going to have to buy the books back or not. I also okay. looked at book clubs. Yep. And I contacted one of the largest female book clubs in the country. Yep. And what I discovered, Jody, was typically large book clubs pick their books about a year in advance. Oh, and wow. So I, okay. had, I had made my contact in December and that particular book club had already made their decision for the entire year. Wow. So my okay. third option, I thought about libraries. And when I first started, self-publishers had a black eye in the library market because of poorly right. written works. Yes, I think absolutely. You, you spoke, that's, you spoke to that. I was going to say that still is. Yeah, that's still going. It's it's not. Yeah. We haven't gotten and over that hump yet. I uh, spoke with a librarian in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, he told me about a nightmare that he had with a self publisher. But I finally convinced him to buy my book. Okay. So so when I started looking at libraries, my interest wasn't so much prestige. Mine was more of. I viewed them as as representing repeatable sales. Yeah. So in my mind, if I got my book into one library, I would have a reference point and that would make it comfortable for other libraries because having a library vet your book for me was every bit as, bit as good as me paying $425 for a Kirkus review. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that point. Yeah. And, and again, to your point, my focus was on profitability. I, I've got X amount that I've invested in my books to write my books. 
And now I'm trying to look on a return on that investment. So trying to get profitable quickly, I thought I could do it with libraries because if I had a large library system, like say here in Atlanta, yeah, I was able to get my book in one library. I might not get them in all 35, but I may be able to get them in five or six. Yep. So my strategy was multiple sales with libraries. Yeah. So I uh, I started contacting libraries initially by phone, and that that yep. that just failed flat on my, you know, I fell flat on that. So what I want to do real quick too, because you mentioned that, and I want to go a couple of places that you didn't get with Joanna is, um, let me pepper in real quickly. I just uh, went to a local library here in the Omaha area on Monday. I was taking my son to a jujitsu class. And Mm -hmm. so I live kind of out in the boonies. So we drive in, I don't get to go to Omaha very often. Uh, And I already have my books in the Nebraska library system, which is kind of like all the rural communities. So good there. But as I go in and I start talking to the librarian, she says, you know what, we just, we just don't acquire anybody that's not in the, the big five. And it was demeaning. And I thought, you know, if you knew anything about me before you made your mind up about my books, this conversation could go differently. I've got a master's in fine arts in fiction focus. Uh, I paid to have these books edited. I did everything that anybody's doing who's in the big five, except I took on the costs myself. And I think that's true of you too. Um, What does that feel like? I want to stand there because calling a librarian and talking to them and having them kind of talk down to you like you're stupid it's hurtful, I think. Um, right. Did you experience that? And and what are your what are your thoughts about how to maybe pivot from there? Well, I, I did early on. I had a few libraries tell me point blank that they don't buy books from self published authors. Yeah, and so I would just basically say in my follow up correspondence, "Well, I appreciate your position. Should your position change in the future, I would very much appreciate your consideration." Yeah, kind of go from there. But what Gosh, I so did polite. was, <laughs> I decided to that numbers would work to my advantage. Yeah. So I've built this library contacts database, which yep. is an Excel spreadsheet. Initially, I had 100 of the largest libraries in the U.S. that I was focusing my efforts on. I've mm-hmm. grown that now to over 6,000 contacts. So now, if I if if I get a no or a negative response. I've got other resources I can go to. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, you're spot on that numbers is what wins this game. If you mm-hmm. just have volume uh, and and it's targeted volume, that works. You can't necessarily do a spray and pray method where you send it to anybody who right. is drawing air. But if you know that it's readers, and, and that's one thing I try to tell my listeners is that libraries are readers, even though they're proxies for readers, um, right. they act the same as a reader if you can get their attention, you know, so it is targeted for you. But I guess I still want to linger just a moment before we go on, because I, I'm going to be uh, getting your resources out there as far and as wide as I can. I love okay. all the work that you've done with your database. I think that anybody who wants to seriously approach the the library process needs to buy the resources that you have. They're super cheap. They're actually underpriced. I'm going to be honest with you. They're underpriced. The reason behind that, again, it goes back to volume. As right. you mentioned. I, I, I'm offering it at what I feel is an affordable price for self-publishers yeah. because like you, Jody, this money is coming out of my pocket. Exactly. My yeah. expenses. So I wouldn't expect the self-published author to pay several hundred bucks for my database. So I, I, yeah, Yeah. the cost is low, but I make it up on the volume. 
Yeah. And and I, I appreciate that. It's a it's a great resource. So I want to talk about that. But before we do, you wrote a memoir. Um, I want you to kind of encapsulate the memoir, but I, at least my sense is, and I, I've read your library book, but I haven't read your memoir yet. My sense is that rejection, even mm-hmm. if we understand it's a numbers game, rejection kind of hurts. So I want you to just mm-hmm. stop for a moment to talk to me about that feeling you get when a librarian tells you no. Mm-hmm. And the kind of things that you do to get courage to just keep moving forward, because that's oh, really cool. tough. And a lot of people feel hurt too much and they kind of slow down. Right. Well, I'll, I'll give you a good example that happened just uh, yesterday. I started an email campaign around my latest book and I had a librarian send me an email back with all of the library's rules and regulations. Most, well, not most, just about every library uses what's called collection development policy, which are their guidelines for book purchasing. Um, And so she laid out those guidelines for me. I'm somewhat familiar with what they are. Yeah. And one of them was we prefer Kirkus reviews. And so in my response, I said, I appreciate the update. I said, one of the reasons why I have not given you a Kirkus review is I said, at $425, let's assume after I provide a library with a 55% discount, I only get 2% royalties. So I would have to sell 213 yeah. libraries to break even. So yeah. I hope you can understand my position as well. So yeah. I try to be as nice as I can in my response. And if I have a valid reason why they should reconsider, yeah. I try to mention that and then I move on. I yeah. don't dwell on it. Because uh, I've got over 208, well, 208 libraries that have been kind enough to invest yeah. in me. And so that's what keeps me going. The wins are, 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 are my uplifting moment, if you will, versus the down moments when a library rejects me. Yeah, you're, you're unique in that way, I think. Um, I, I just, I feel the weight of rejection about 10 times as hard as I do mm-hmm. uh, acceptance. Like right at this moment, I don't have a ton of reviews on my first book in my detective series, 36, two of them are one-star reviews. And I read those one-star reviews and I assume they're right. I just believe it. I don't know what it mm-hmm. is. Like all the other ones are four and five-star reviews. And right. yet I look at those one-star reviews and just assume they know me. Nobody else actually, everybody else is fooled or they're being too kind, you know? Yeah. I, 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 uh, had a couple of reviews. One was, I think, a three and maybe even a two on one of my yeah. books. And that hurt me immensely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and because one was your book is priced too high. The oh, my gosh. Is too, yeah. Oh. And, and the other sort of went into a different direction from what my book was all about. So yeah. I've come to learn that those numbers are going to going to balance out, I think. Yeah. yeah. Based on the merit of the book, for out. sure. Yep. And that uh, you're going to get, if you've got a well-written book, you're going to get more positives than you will negatives. But yeah. I honestly, I, I try not to dwell on that. And part of it, might maybe my thicker skin revolves around my history as I, I spent 30 years in sales yes. in corporate America. Yeah. So I get a lot of rejection. And plus, I'm married. Ah, so there you go. That, exactly. that was the rejection factor, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. You and I have something in common. I, I've worked in sales my whole career as well. You can't take it personal because if I do, I, I won't be productive. I, I'll just yeah. sit there and not get anything accomplished. So I take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes there's valuable feedback. Yeah. You know, 
in that negative uh, feedback. Sometimes it's something that you can learn from and then you go and do better once you've learned that. So absolutely. that's sort of my approach, Jody. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate where you're coming from. I, I you and I have that that kind of similarity that um, I, I came from a sales background. Mm. The funny thing is, is that my, my way of uh, protecting myself from the hurt that I feel when people reject me is mm. making sure that I'm super passionate about the product I'm selling. And so mm-hmm. um, as weird as this sounds, I, I spent a little bit of time selling um, direct mail marketing for a company and it was very short-lived because I didn't believe in it. I didn't believe that it benefited the customer. And when people told me, no, I took it really personal and I had nothing to fall back on, nothing to be like, Hey, they don't understand versus, and this is where I say it's weird is I sold sunglasses for a company called pugs. Um, they're nationwide. You've maybe seen them if you've ever gone into a grocery store or a gas station or anything. Um, and I just knew the value of those sunglasses in this really strange way. And so when people would tell me, no, I would just kind of brush it off and be like, you're lost. You don't see what's valuable here. That helps right. a little bit with books for me is that I know the inherent quality. Now, yes, I just said that one star reviews hurt because I think maybe they're seeing the truth, but more or less I can pick up and go every day because I know the product is good. I think that's a great, that's great, your- great way to put it. That That's yeah. what I, I believe and I'm confident in what I have written to the extent that a few, you know, bad reviews or or bad views about the book or books. It doesn't. It doesn't. I know I've done well with a good book. So yeah, that's what keeps me going. To your point, that's a great, great point that you just made. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about something that you said a few minutes ago. You talked about discounting your book, uh, so the libraries are buying it at a half price. Uh, mm-hmm. And I want to one clarify, and then two, I want to dive into the numbers a little bit. But um, so. If you have your book available through Ingram Spark, they mm-hmm. have a section of the submission process where they have the retailer price and then the library price. And the library price is actually uh, 100% higher than the retailer price. So I'm too early in the process to understand how everything works. But if a library acquires my book directly from Ingram or any of Ingram's kind of network, they pay double what my retail price is to acquire it. But then they give me um, uh, 50% of the actual uh, price. Is that, is that, am I understanding it right? Or, or are you actually selling direct into libraries? Well, okay. I am not sure that libraries are seeing double our price. The yeah. way that I understand what Ingram is doing, um, they, when I first started, they were offering, you could, they recommended that you provide libraries with a discount. Okay. The option they had, one was 35% and one was 55%. Interesting. Well, I tried 35% and I'm looking at that as 35% off of retail. That was my interpretation of it. I got no sales. As soon as I clicked that button to say 55%, I started getting library sales. Wow. So, so, so the way I believe that libraries are getting a discount, if Ingram is adding on above that 55% that they're taking out, because I think 15% of that 55 is what they keep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so price has not been an issue for me with libraries. Okay, that's good. That's good. But what I can say is if I have a book on Amazon for $10 mm-hmm. and because I know I'm getting 55% taken out of my 
retail price for my book on Ingram, my that causes my royalty rate, let's say if it were $2 on Amazon, it might drop below $2 on Ingram, let's say to $150 or something. Yeah. So what I do on Ingram is I raise my retail price a dollar or more so that I'm getting the same level of royalty rate as I would on Amazon. I got you. So now my book that that I'm retailing on Ingram is $11, but 55% off of that, I my understanding was libraries are seeing that like what five or six dollar price for the book. Okay. That was I, my understanding. I have to I have to go back and figure out what's going on right now because I think I maybe have been misreading what I'm supposed to do because gotcha. I was I was under the impression that libraries bought books at double the price of of retailers. Right. Um, I, and, I would be surprised if that were the case, Jody, simply because most libraries have limited budgets. Right. That's one of the reasons why you see libraries join consortiums so mm-hmm. that they can do group purchasing. Yeah. So they are looking at like cost very closely. Right. And exactly. I, I would just be surprised if they were looking at price, that buying books that were, you know, over retail, say on Amazon or somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to shelf that a little bit because I need to do some more research uh, and also say if it happens that 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 uh, Omaha and Lincoln bought my books. So mm-hmm. this is a kind of a recent development is um, Nebraska library system for the rural libraries plus Omaha plus Lincoln all own the digital versions of my books. Um, all I had to do, and this was super surprising to me, I think it's because I'm local and maybe they kind of understood that, but all I had to do was request that they purchase the copy because I'm a member of those libraries and they mm-hmm. bought them pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So that was encouraging. At the same time, like I said, I went into a library just recently that's in Ralston. So it's kind of an adjunct of Omaha uh, and they treated me like I was nobody. This is a challenging thing to do to sell books into, into libraries and to know how to do it well, you have uh, really relied on email. So I want to use kind of a bridge to the next piece of the conversation to say, uh, you talk about personalizing and especially subject lines, mm-hmm. using your subject lines to capture attention. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of the body of the email do you personalize when you're sending out these emails? Is it is it... Yeah, in the in the body of my emails, I will have the librarian's full name. I will have the name of the library. Okay. I will have the salutation of uh, yep. uh, Mr. Sperling, and then the body of the li- of the uh, document. I will mention either that person's name or the library name to give it a customized look. Yeah. Okay. So everyone is going to be personalized with names, libraries, things like that. But kind of the rest of the story is a little bit like a press release. If I don't know if you've done press releases at all, but it's almost similar to that. And that you're subbing out who you're submitting to, but otherwise the details about you, your book, it's fit are all the same. Is that true? Similar. So, so here, okay. here's my approach, Jody. I view library marketing as similar to a job search as though I were going to look for a job. Yeah. So in my resume or my introductory letter, I am trying to align myself in such a way that the person reading it will see that I'm a good fit. Yeah. Uh, So I would do a little research, let's say on the company and find out what that CEO's vision and mission for the company would be. And then I try to show how I'm a good fit in terms of where they're trying to go. So I do the same thing with libraries. The collection development policy being their guidelines, I try to 
at least put one element of a collection development policy in each of my emails. I researched 10 libraries collection development policies because I was looking for something common that I could incorporate in all of my correspondence. And the one word that I found that I harped on was the word relevant. Almost every uh, collection development policy that I read said the book must be relevant or the book must have relevancy. So when I'm corresponding, I'm trying to show that librarian how my book is relevant to their readership, to their patrons or guests. So that's sort of, that's my approach. And I have different emails for different scenarios uh, for academic libraries. I might have an email campaign geared around uh, around spring break. For libraries, I have one regarding fiscal year end, fiscal year began. I have one for introductory letters. I've got one where I display multiple uh, my multiple books. I may have two or three. Yeah. So I've got a strategy that keeps me, I'm able to stay in front of libraries because I'm not just sending them the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So to answer your question, the structure, I had uh, an author's group in Florida. We were, I was presenting uh, how to self-publish. And I, and then I talked about getting my, getting your book in the libraries. And one of the people raised their hand and said, Eric, that's a sales sheet that you're sending librarians. And I said, yeah. yes, it is. But you know what? It's a metadata sales sheet. Okay. So that's what my document contains, metadata. It contains the book's cover. I always use Ingram ISBNs because Ingram is the world's largest book wholesaler. And mm-hmm. a lot of libraries buy from Ingram. So I've got the book cover. I've got the metadata. I've got the book's description. Yep. And I've got where they can purchase it from, Ingram, Amazon, yes. Draft the Digital. Yeah. I've, I've got like seven or eight. I give them all of that. And and I have these, the personalization piece in there. So that's what I'm doing. I'm sending metadata yeah. in a personalized way that shows I've got some relevance to the library and what they might be looking for in a book. And understand. And understanding of what what uh, matters to them. I think that if mm-hmm. I were a librarian opening up one of your emails, my sense would be like, hey, this gentleman has really done his research. He gets what we're looking for. And exactly. I think, yeah, that for the hundreds and thousands of people who who just basically say, hey, I wrote a book. Do you want to, you know, add it to your collection? You've you've right. already put yourself head and shoulders above them. And uh, Yeah, right. And then I use library buzzwords. I use your collection development policy. I put that in there to establish credibility. And I'll say, here's where I think my book aligns with your collection development policy, Mm -hmm. and it would fit in your social sciences section of the library. Yeah. So I try to show that I understand their business. I've done my homework. And um, I try to be courteous to librarians because studies have shown most librarians are introverted. So I don't come out out at them with this hard, you've got to buy my book. It's the best in the world kind of approach. They are introverted and they love uh, data to be able to assess information. So I'm giving them uh, a soft sale with quantitative information. Yeah, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. What I really love is that you you talk about being in sales for 20 years, 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. So 
in 20 years, you know, we, we learn how to talk to people. We learn how to go in and all these different strategies to sell whatever product it is that we're going to sell. Uh, and most of the time, uh, salespeople talk about the clothes, you know, but you're essentially leaving the clothes out of your, your process. And I really, uh, no, actually I am. I'm doing a soft close. Right. Yeah. At the end, at the end of each of my emails, uh, I'll say something along the lines of upon review, of the information I've presented, I would be honored if you would add my new book Perfect. to your collection. Yeah. Again, I, I'm using collection yeah. and I'm doing that soft, yeah. assumptive close that I would be honored. I don't say yeah. when you order it, you know, I said, I look forward to the prospect of you ordering it and yeah. I would be humbled by your, uh, by the book's addition to your collection. So I always do a soft close. I really, I really enjoy you a lot. I, I don't, it's like, it's like as much as I try, as hard as I try, I don't have that gear in me. Whenever I think of the word humbled, it actually makes me angry. I don't know what's wrong with me, man, but I got to work on that. That's a, I I probably, probably ruined a a thousand goods. Well, no, but I guess what I'm saying is I just want to point out how great you are in the fact that, that you really put yourself aside to right. accomplish your mission. I'm not as good at that as you are. And I hope that people listening uh, take your side in this and that they understand that when you're able to sort of put yourself aside for what you're trying to accomplish, really good things can happen. And I think exactly. I think you're doing a great job of that. I appreciate that, Jody. And you, 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 you said something that is something that I'm always thinking about when I'm working on my intro letter and when I'm working on my email. I'm trying to put myself in the position of the reader. I'm trying to put myself in the position of a librarian. And I ask myself, how does this tone, how does this messaging, how would that be received by that librarian? So you make a great point. I actually do do that. I try to consider that other person and put my, I want to sell my book. I try to put that aside and I try to try to portray, okay, how will Jody, the librarian, respond or react to what I've just said? Yeah. So let's take a moment to talk about the the money aspect of what we're doing, because okay. um, and, and this is where I'm just going to let you lead, because I, I had come into this with kind of the wrong perspective of the pricing of the book, and I didn't understand all of everything that was going on there. So I need to do more research. But for you, okay. it, it seems and I guess we're, we're on the same page when it comes to you don't get a ton of uh, juice out of this particular squeeze. So there are other reasons why we're doing this. Like if you sell a book into a library, you're not going to get rich hitting, you know, 200 libraries. So talk to me about the wins. How much money do you make if you sell a copy of a book in? Um, And then what are the wins that make it financially even better than we realize? Okay. The, the, the uh, royalties and the payments that you receive are very similar to what you get, uh, in the retail marketplace. In uh, 2022, the Library Journal did a generational study. And in that study, and this is why I focus on libraries, and this is where the revenue begins to kind of ramp up. So out of that study that they did, 62% of adults surveyed purchased the same book they had borrowed from a library. I love it. 77% of millennials bought another book from an author that they had read from a book they'd read in a library. So if you're a right. series author, millennials is a big business for you. So you've got 62% and 77%. What that means is there are add-on sales every time mm. you can get your book into a library. As an example, I have 24 libraries that have purchased two of my books. 
nine libraries that have purchased three of my books, four libraries that have purchased four of my books. Mm. So that's even though, so now think about this. Let's say if I only got a $2 royalty off of one library. Well, the one that purchased two books, I've just made $4 and I didn't do any additional work. And so, so that's where my revenue begins to ramp up is because of these multiple sales. So I've got 258 copies of my books in 208 libraries. Mm. That, see, that speaks to the numbers that Library Journal study indicated. If you can get your book in the library and if it gets checked out, the odds are you're going to get an additional book sale. Yeah. Okay. So that's how I look at it. Revenue wise, the numbers aren't big, but here's what happened to me. Once people saw that I was having success as a self-publisher, getting my book in the libraries, I started getting requests for, hey, Eric, can you help me with my intro letter? Hey, Eric, can I buy your database? Hey, Eric, uh, can you consult with me for an hour? So what happened to my library book business, my revenue stream had an add-on effect. Not only was I now getting royalties, I was getting library marketing services sales. Yeah. So that and I'll just say that pushed me, I call it my book business, that pushed my book business just on libraries into the five-figure category. That's great. Okay. But I had something to supplement my books. In addition to the royalties, I have something to supplement that. Yeah. So for people that write series, I think they are probably the best positioned of, of, of any to do extremely well with libraries. If they can yeah. get that first series in, the first book of a series in, then I think you can have that 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 add-on effect similar to what I'm doing. I love I love that you mentioned that. That was one of the questions that I think I I moved your way before we actually had this conversation is the power of the series author. So you really touched on that. Um, I think about that in so many ways. I um, I use Facebook uh, ads to market mm-hmm. my books. And the way that I'm able to do it profitably is largely because I'm selling a series so I can package ah. four, four or five books together and say, Hey, buy all of these books together. And every time somebody makes a purchase, it's at a high enough ticket that I can, I can afford to spend that money and, and recoup. Um, right. Libraries are very, very similar. I think one of the things that really excites me, and you talked about in your interview with Joanna, which I will definitely link in the show notes so people can hear that. Uh, She's more coherent than I am, to tell you the truth. Like we kind of bounce around a lot. I I do that. That's just what I do. But, um, you know, you talked about the power of, and and you mentioned it, actually. That's why I wanted to come back and and loop around is is that uh, when you get a book into a library, you have the opportunity for people to read it free. And then pick up with your series. And so mm-hmm. like the multiplicative effect right. of that is amazing. I, right. I don't want that to be understated. So that's why I wanted to come back around to it is if they happen to read book one of yours uh, in any format, if they really like it, they develop a relationship with it. They go, they buy book two, three, four, mm-hmm. five without right. you doing anything extra just by making it available for free. Um and that does lead me to my next question. This is, I, I didn't prepare you for this question. So if you don't have any thoughts on it, no worries. But you know how um, like BookBub and uh, BookFunnel, a lot of different places will allow you to give away a book for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you hear the abysmal statistics about mm-hmm. free books mm-hmm. and how you, if you get an email list built on free you know, book downloaders, it really mm-hmm. doesn't generate a lot. Why are right. libraries different? Because they're still free. So why is it different? Well, 
libraries are offering books to their patrons and guests for free, but libraries are buying those books. So they're not free. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. So technically they're not free. Yeah. Uh, so you were asking me about- Like the, for the patron, it's free when they yeah, go correct. and check it out at the library, but correct. then the patron takes that free book that they decided to check out from the library and go right. and buy your next books. Right. Why is that different? Why, why when they buy, why, why when they check out a free book from a library, does it create a buying behavior in them versus when you give it to them for free through book funnel or book bub, it doesn't create that buying behavior. You know what I'm saying? Does that, right. like, like I said, I don't, I didn't prepare you for this question. No, that's just, okay. Well, let me, let me, let me just say this. I, yeah. I don't offer my books for free. Yeah. And the reason why I do that, in my view, if it's for free, it has no value. Right. But the, right. the library on your behalf is lending it for free. They're why does that create a buying behavior? Yeah. Because yeah. it's they're, the lending. They're lending like, it. And, you know, I guess the the way the reason why that library model might be different, Jody, is some people want to try it before they buy it. Sure. It's like, it's like a car. They may want to test drive it, kick the tires. And they say they like it, and then they make the purchase. I would think that would probably be the difference. Yeah, readers are more inclined to want to try it first before they buy it. Yeah, yeah. I um my my son, and I think I've maybe told this story, so I won't go too deep into it here. But um, when he was just two years old, we lived in Spokane, Washington, and I I was working a sales job for that sunglass company, and we I was driving all over the state selling sunglasses. So in my car, I wanted something to listen to. Music just got kind of old. I loved audiobooks. I was in a, a master's degree for fiction, so I was listening to audiobooks just constantly. And my son you know, it's only so tall. So he pulls off Henry Miller, the Tropic of Capricorn from the shelf in, in audiobook. And, and I was like, it must be fate. So I took that book and I listened to it. And it was, for me, a life-changing book. It's really vulgar. So when I recommend it, I always make sure people understand it's not, oh. um, it's not a clean book, but the writing was so beautiful and the observations about life and spirituality and death and et cetera, just amazing. Um, I went on to read that book multiple, many times. My wife as a gift bought me a $300 copy of a, a first American edition. The mm. kind of love that was created because of an accidental library loan is right. so powerful. Uh, and I think about that with your books, when people get your books, I mean, you know, I've read your book. I, I already feel somehow like I know you because <laughs> I read your book. I've enjoyed right. your thought process, what you've offered to the world, but I have personally not paid you a dollar. You have not? I have not paid you a dollar. Exactly. I, I didn't buy your book. I, I borrowed your book. Oh, no, so the library fine. did. No, yeah, fine. no, I know. I know it is. And I guess that's that's kind of my thought process, though, is that when you come out with more books, I'm going to buy your books because oh, now oh, I'm you a go, fan of yours. Yeah, I got you. Right. Yeah. Right. And then and, and to, yeah, that's a great point. That kind of goes back to that library journal generational study. You know, the, 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 that, yeah. that relationship gets established and, and then you say, hmm, yeah, I like what I've just read. I'll buy another book in the future. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I'm thinking but the other more... thing, too, Jody, and I don't mean to cut you off, but the other no, thing go. done for me is libraries, they're going to be looking at the checkouts of that book. And so now yep. when I go back to library, sometimes I'll say, hey, I noticed this month I'm because I'll do just random checks to see if my books are being checked out. Yep. I can say, hey, I noticed last month the book was checked out two or three times. Yes. If your readers enjoy that one, I think they'll enjoy this next one. And then I yeah. guess we'll introduce another book. So I kind of play off of those checkouts to get yes. a sales. 
That's brilliant. And thank you for kind of pulling us into the next segment, because what I really want to know is, are there ways that you feel like you can um, help to get the book checked out more often? And how hard is it? So actually answer that question. I'll come back to the next one. Are there ways that you can get people to check out your book more frequently? Well, one of the ways is to have a well-written book that's relevant to that library's patron and guest interest. Something else that's really interesting that's happened, uh, there's a company called Hoopla yeah. that offers uh, music and ebooks and the like. And they are, I view them as a competitor to draft the digital, okay. which used to be the number one source for ebooks for libraries. They still may be. Okay. So what's happening with Hoopla to get more checkouts, you want to get your book distributed to companies that offer Hoopla. Yeah. So that's how you do it. You want to make sure your book is in those places where uh, Hoopla is being distributed because I am seeing in my database the number of libraries that are adding Hoopla has just been astronomical. Absolutely. So I guess their subscription is such, the library's subscription is such, they see the value versus paying for a book directly. The challenge for authors, however, is yep. if I have a $2 book with Hoopla, now, you know, that book costs $2 if the library were to purchase it with Hoopla, I only get 40 cents right. because their model right. is called cost per checkout. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So I've got to sell five books, five checkouts to equal the, the price for one book. Yeah. The good news for me is I am getting a lot of Hoopla checkouts. Yes. I am getting a ton because I'm in that market space. Yeah. And so what what happens, though, and I'll use this example because Lincoln Public Libraries owns your book. That's how I read your book. So I checked it out through Hoopla. So I gave you 40 cents, it sounds like. Um, uh, Hoopla acquired my book. And I actually don't fully understand how that happened because I didn't think I did anything for Lincoln Public Libraries. I just submitted my book to Findaway Voices. So Findaway Voices acquired, uh, you know, and and said like, this book is good to go. And suddenly it shows up in that collection. I was really surprised. But as soon as I saw it, I sent a, a, a thing out to all of my followers on Facebook and everything. And I said, hey, right. if you have a Lincoln public library card right now, I need you to do me a favor and go check out that book because mm-hmm. then you get that that data, you get all that information that, hey, this book's getting checked out, plus right. you get money for it. So like it costs them nothing but a, a few minutes. Um, right. So Hoopla is really amazing. And I think it's a win for everybody in that it forces the author back into that marketing position of saying like, let's make this book visible and let's make mm-hmm. sure that people are engaging with it. And it saves the library money so they can be more versatile, so that they can move easier than having to acquire a single title. I do like the Libby model as well, though, whereas Libby right. is going to pay me immediately as soon as they acquire the book for the price of the book. And right. you know, it might just be a couple of bucks, but then it's in their collection forever. Right. I like now, that. Uh, to give you an idea, I can't think of all of the people that distribute through Hoopla, but Draft the Digital is one. Okay. Yeah. Draft the digital is one. So, yeah, I mean, literally almost every month now I'm getting Hoopla library sales. Literally every month. Right. Now, how how um, how active are you in that process? Like, uh, do you notice that you just kind of show up in new places that you maybe didn't necessarily inquire of? Or do you still have to to really gun it to get those Hoopla sales? Uh, that, That engine is driving itself. Yeah, the nice. challenge with Hoopla is most of the self-publishing uh, platforms 
in their reporting, none of them have an indicator that sells L for library. Okay. So there's there's literally hardly no library reporting in terms of oh, interesting. Which, okay. which library made the purchase. Okay. So I can't actively market, you know, Hoopla because most of these libraries now have Hoopla. Yeah. So there's no really need for me to try to market and say, oh, you know, if you get Hoopla. You yes, know, exactly. So right. You don't have to do that. They're, they're, that that Hoopla is selling themselves to libraries just like Libby was doing. Right. Right. So, so that market exists. And the engine for me, it's just running on its own, Jody. Yeah. Yeah. I've just I've just made sure that my books are available through Hoopla, either through Draft the Digital or there's another there's several others that offer Hoopla, too, as well. Yeah, but, like I yeah, said, so find I'm away just voices. Sure my books available through that source. Yeah, find away voices is one of the big ones. So when as soon as I submitted my book, and and the funny thing is, I'm almost positive this is how it happened. But I submitted my audio book to find away voices, and they distribute it to Spotify, libraries, Apple, um, Amazon. I mean. The, the list is just massive. In fact, I'll leave a link in the show notes for it. When you submit it, if it gets approved through Findaway Voices, it's available to all these other networks. And so all you have to do is go make them aware that it exists and then give them that that value proposition that you were talking about. Um, and and I think you can be acquired pretty quickly. I, I was shocked that the book showed up at Lincoln because I had not even approached them. So when it was there, I was like, what? This is, I didn't do anything and now I'm getting money. This right. is cool. Um, so one of the things that I want to transition to is book clubs. We mentioned it early on, but you talked about it not in a library uh, way. However, I know in my my library system, they actually have a library sanctioned book club where there is right. part of their budget that exists exclusively to purchase right. books for book clubs. Have you right. ever explored that? And what do you see as like, is there a way to leverage that for our benefit? I I have not okay. gone after that as a market directly. I've actually had that market come to me. Oh wow! I've had, yeah, okay. I've had librarians purchase my book, and they say they'll say to me, "Hey, we've got a book club that meets regularly, so that's something yeah. that you can put in your correspondence." I'm willing to speak to uh, yes. book clubs. Your if you have in library book clubs, I'm willing to do that. And I have done those kind of presentations for book clubs all over the country. And uh, for, you know, I call them author book clubs. Yep. And uh, the one in, one of the ones in Florida was the one where the, ra- the person raised their hand and said, what you're providing to libraries is actually a sales sheet. Yeah. So okay. I have done that. I have presented. I That's have so cool. uh, done book readings. Yep. I do. And is that kind of like this yeah. where you're actually remote um, when you do that sometimes or how often yes. is it in person? I do. I, I've done all of my book readings remotely. Awesome. Again, because of the profitability. You yeah, know, exactly. It's to hard to travel. Library, my time, my <laughs> hourly rate. So yep. I'm doing and they're, they're very open to that. And so in a lot of my correspondence, I tell you, I had quite a few Zoom calls with libraries during the height of COVID. Yeah. And so I had a whole email marketing campaign to say, I'm available to do a book reading or to discuss self-publishing via a Zoom presentation at no charge. I love that. And every time I do one of those at no charge, I end up getting like five or more book sales. Yeah. So that that. was another strategy of mine. Sell remotely, get as many people to come as the librarian can get. And invariably, I get book sales through remote uh, Zoom. And that... 
perfectly dovetails into my last question is you, you talked about doing that. So there may not be even a ton more to add to that, but I've been thinking a lot about services to the community. And so mm-hmm. here in Omaha, I can really accelerate that. So I'm doing a thing called books for brews where uh, I'm going to be partnering with a couple of coffee shops here to get them a brew of coffee. And if they buy my book, I will buy them a coffee in exchange. So in actual reality, yeah, it is. I'm not going to make any money on it because by the time I buy the coffee for them, whatever money I made on the book is going to be enough. However, right. I get this opportunity to show Omaha, hey, this guy really gives to the community, really digs into the community. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask you, in in addition to those remote readings, how have you used community services to accelerate library buying? And and is that involved in your pitch to libraries to say, hey, please buy my book because? The only community service related uh, pitch that I've done to date regards my latest book in which I discuss my battle with prostate cancer. Yeah. And I'm telling libraries that for each purchase, I'm donating 10 percent to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. That yeah. has been the extent of that's, that, that's my great. community uh, work. The, the, the challenge with see, I've got six thousand libraries that are covering probably over 37 states in the mm-hmm. U.S. in the District mm-hmm. of Columbia. So because I'm doing emails to remote locations that it would be challenging for me to offer, you know, yeah. community-based service under that scenario. Jim. Absolutely. Yeah, I could do it here with my local library, the you know, the Fulton County library system. I could do it, but my mark- marketing strategy is 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 not only local, but it's it's kind of global in terms of absolutely in the US. I wonder, I, yeah, the, the thing I've been wondering about, and I, I don't know for sure how this will work, because for me, it's a lot more just theoretical than actually in practice but i'm kind of wondering what if you could show somebody that what you did in fulton county was x y and z mm-hmm. then could you use that to be like this is the impact my book can have in your community do you think that would improve the sales proposition again i i, I don't know from a community standpoint but i do part of what you just said when i started getting books in libraries i started actually listing those books in my email correspondence as references and when I did um, a Zoom call with a library in Pennsylvania, the librarian told all of the people on the call, they said, the reason why we bought Eric's memoir was because I noticed another library on his list that had the book. So my, my community approach, it isn't a community approach. Mine is what I call a reference selling approach. Yeah. Okay. I reference sell libraries to give the ones that I'm marketing to greater confidence that my book has already been vetted. So it's a safe bet for you to go and purchase it. Yes. So that's not a community oriented, but that's, I'm using libraries as references. I don't have a community strategy because okay. of I'm, I'm in so many States with the data. And that's, that's also hand in glove with another question that I didn't ask earlier is uh, when you talk about checkout statistics, how difficult is it to get checkout statistics from libraries where your books are? Uh, and what's the power of having that when you pitch another library? I, I don't know that libraries would give you checkout statistics or not. Okay. Okay. I'm proactive in that. I just randomly, I'll just think, I'll say, okay, I'm trying to sell some additional books. Yeah. to more libraries, or let's say uh, my existing customer base. Yeah. They've been kind of quiet. I haven't sold in, you know any books in a couple of months. I want to try to sell my new book to them. Yeah. I'll go and look at just 
randomly go look at their website and see if my book is checked out. And if I see that, that I've had several checkouts, I'll use that and say, hey, I've noticed over the past month that my book has been checked out multiple times. If you're happy with that rate, would you be willing to consider this next book? I love that. That's yeah. how I do it. There's no yep. statistical data that I'm aware of. And I don't know that libraries would even share that with us or not. Yeah. I'm going to dig into that. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can poke around and prod a little bit and see if I can get anybody in Nebraska too. I think I live literally, I could, I could actually open my window just right over there <laughs> for anybody who's listening. I'm pointing to the left uh, and throw a rock and hit my library. So I'm lucky. Yeah, I your live local in, librarian you know. would probably share that with you. Yeah. But, you know, other libraries that I'm marketing to, I mean, I don't even, they don't know me and I don't know them. So exactly. to, for me to ask for their checkout information, I doubt they'd give it to me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. And it also doesn't, though, because partly if I went to them and I said, hey, I'm trying everything I can to make sure that my value to you is as great as possible. And if you can show me that I'm not getting checked out, let me figure out what the problem is and see if we can fix this. Because I think that the really scary truth behind our whole conversation is if you are living in a place that has a non-arts focused government institution, um, you are going to be facing constant pressure to cut library funding. I hate to say that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not even making a political statement here. I'm saying if you live in a place that is politically not aligned with the arts, they're not going to want to fund the library. And what I always say is that during COVID for me here in Omaha, this is the truth, whether you like it or not, uh, our mayor wanted to cut funding to the library. Gene Stothert was aggressive in trying to shut the library down for a second day out of a seven-day week. It's already shut down on Mondays. She wanted it to be shut down on Tuesdays. She was aggressive. She was fighting hard to get that done. Um, and, and cutting library funding is maybe the best choice to do if we can't make libraries really integral to our community. What you're doing is making libraries integral to our community. So I hope that they'll share their data with you. I hope that if I reach out to them and make that pitch that they'd say, yeah, I'd love to let you know what your checkout statistics are and mm-hmm. and uh, allow us to start tracking that and figuring out what are the ways that we can move that needle? Because anytime I can get data, I can progress. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your memoir. Um, I don't know what the exact right thing to say is. Being a survivor of prostate cancer is a hard journey. Uh, that's kind of just the beginning for you. You faced a lot of adversity in your life. And uh, for anybody who wants to read your memoirs, who wants to read your library book, talk a little bit about yourself, talk yourself up, let people know why uh, you are great. Well, well, I've I've got five titles available. My memoir, Not Far From The Tree, is about my life being raised by a single parent, a single African-American mother, and the values that she instilled in me that enabled me to go on and achieve success academically, athletically, and in corporate America. Uh, I've got two titles that deal with libraries. One is Getting Your Book Into Libraries, which is based on an article that I wrote, How to Get Your Book Into Libraries, that was the number one search result on Google for two years in a row. Out of about uh, 20, I think 20, Boy, the number of hits on that was incredible. Uh, I want to say it was like 20 billion search results. My book was number one. I mean, my article was number one for two years. Uh, When when the pandemic hit, Jody, I knew libraries' budgets would be cut. So I consolidated my self-publishing book with my library book. 
and I named it Self-Publishers Toolkit because I saw a market opportunity whereby if someone was new to self-publishing, one of the first things they'd want to do other than Amazon is like, okay, now where can I go sell my book? So libraries just seem to be a logical fit. And then my newest book, my latest book, uh, Prostate Cancer Came a Knocking, is about my journey with prostate cancer. So I've got two biographical related books and I've got, uh, I would say, three self-help, self-publishing type books, library marketing. So that's yeah. kind of my sphere right now of, of my, my writing. Thank you so much for, for sharing. I think uh, I, I've been doing a library series for a little while now, and part of it is me fumbling around trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, and so it's just so helpful to have an expert who's already been where I'm going uh, I don't think that you made enough of the services you have. So I want to ask you again, what can people get on your website in terms of reaching out to to libraries? Uh, <clears throat> thank you for that, Jody. On, on my website, uh, the main site is eseinc1.com. Eric Simmons Enterprises, one, you know, eseinc1.com. And on there, I've got a library marketing services section where... Uh, your listeners can order my library contacts database in versions of 3,000 librarian contacts, 4,000, 5,000, or 6,000. In addition, I've got all of my books available for sale. If you wanted to just purchase from me directly instead of Amazon or other sources, you can purchase all of my books from my website. And I also offer library marketing consulting services one uh, for an hour session, I'll just sit down and we'll discuss strategy and talk about how can we construct your intro letter to try to have the most impact as well as your subject line. And then uh, I offer a two hour session that gets into a lot more of the nitty gritty of it. So awesome. all of that is available from my website. I appreciate you you know, allowing me to mention that to your listeners. But yeah. uh and, and to give you an idea of the impact of that library marketing services, as I mentioned, I've got hundreds of customers here in the U.S., but I also have customers in eight countries. Wow. That, okay. That have purchased, yeah, purchased some of my tools. That's fantastic. That's, I mean, and, and and I think that's an expanded conversation, maybe for later, maybe with you, maybe with somebody else is, uh, you know, we've got Canada, we've got England, we've got other English speaking communities that have libraries that we can reach out to. Um, I, I've just started working on identifying libraries in Canada. And awesome. hopefully before the year is out, I'm going to be adding Canadian libraries to the database. Excellent. So I think my- that's a new frontier for, for, for our self-publishers hugely. One thing I'll say about Canada, and I don't know a whole ton about it yet. I'm really focused on just local at this moment because that's what I can touch and feel. But I, I feel like the the Canadian government is a little bit more supportive of libraries. And uh, again, I'm not actually making a political statement here. I want to make that really clear because I've been accused before of having political views that I actually don't have. But um, I just think about in terms of being an artist, uh, if you're an artist, you probably, whatever you're selling, kind of aligns with a, a liberal type of thought process. I was also a real estate investor, so I have feelings that way as well. But, uh, you know, for anybody listening, Canada, their government is a little bit more open to the arts and supporting the arts. And so I think right. that it could be potentially a, a frontier that's worth exploring. I agree. I agree. Uh, Eric. You are a phenomenal human being. I don't think you give yourself enough credit for what you're doing for this community. And um, 
I'm just personally really grateful. You've taught me so, so much. So thank you. Oh, no. Thank you for having me, Jody. Yeah. Take care. Okay. You too. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?